All right, well, we're um, excited about the message today, but uh, before we talk about the message, I just want to remind everyone that uh, we're, our life group's registration is happening, so you need to be in, you need to get in a life group. They're just kicking off this fall. They're super, we've got 14 life groups, all different kinds of categories, um, but be registering this week. We've got another week to register. A ton of people registered already, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, see myself or Nicole you can sign up today on paper if the whole computer thing is a little, you know, intimidating or confusing or whatnot. So, um, but um, excited about that. And yeah, so excited about the message today. Uh, you guys ready for a, um, a fiery message? Yeah. I remember Brad Schultz came to church. So I just want to go somewhere where I get challenged. So we're going to meet Brad's need today, okay? We're going to have a, we have a pretty challenging message. All right, so if, you, if this is too challenging for you, you can take it up with Brad, uh, okay? And then I told Grayson earlier, I said, I got a pretty, pretty hot message today, and uh, he's, like, uh, he's like, good, that's what I need. I was like, well, I wrote it for you specifically, so he's like, uh, it's all at Grayson. So if, this, if you feel like this applies to you, don't worry, it just applies to Grayson. And, and Ivy said aloud, Amen. Hmm. Work on. Amen. Okay. So we're going through the Old Testament. Today we're going to be finishing up our study in the book of Samuel. And you say, well, first you say, actually it was one book originally, and the, the English version divided it into two books because it was so long. Um, and, uh, but we're finishing up studying Samuel today. And we're, we're studying through the Old Testament to really try to understand and know God. Who is God? So much, so much of our walk, our faith, our Christianity, so much of how we feel about ourselves, how we interact with the world, interact with relationships, depends on our mind and our thoughts about God and who God is and how we relate to Him, how He relates to us how we relate to others, how we relate to our kids, our families, our enemies even, okay? And so, so we're really taking the whole year just to take time to think about the character of God. And so we're going through the Old Testament, and we're wanting God to reveal Himself, to show Himself to us, just like He did to Moses, right? And so then we can know, understand, intellectually, but at least not fully, but a step closer, and But not just understand, but to delight in Him. Amen? To delight, to enjoy God, and to become one with God, that God is in us in His Spirit. He's in us. This God is in us. And so then we can share, we can let God out to a world in desperate need. Okay, so this is what we're trying to do. Today, we're going to be honing in on David's story, King David. So 2 Samuel is really all about David's experience with God. And we're going to see the rise of David, the fall of David, and the legacy of David, okay? In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, when Saul had messed up, Samuel said something to Saul. He said, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's commands. So this is our first introduction to this David, and it says that David is a man after 
God's own heart. And when we looked at what does that mean to be after God's own heart, really it's mean that David, of all the people of Israel, David was one who had who has the heart of God, the, the desires of God, the inclinations of God, and he's God's man, okay? So God wants someone who's spiritual to be his leader. And so there's so much we can learn about God from David's story. So much we can learn. We don't have time to, to, to go through the whole book. But I want to hone in on knowing God as rewarder, as corrector, and redeemer. Knowing God, becoming one with God as a rewarder, corrector, and redeemer. Okay? So I got a big old spot on my glasses. I got to fix that. I appreciated Jake leading worship. Amen? Don't we appreciate Jake, Heather, all the worship team? But I also, I really honestly appreciated Jake messing up. Appreciated that, Jake. Because now I feel like, you know, it's not just me who messes up all the time on stage, right? I had some company. So anyways, uh, thank you, Jake, for all the things you do well and even your awesome mistakes. Okay. Um, okay, 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to read verse 4 through 17. And we're going to get into our message. Knowing God from David's story, God is rewarder, corrector, and redeemer. But in the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David. So at this point, David is, let me give you a little context. David has become king, and things are going amazingly. And David has a heart to, he, he has, has this amazing palace around him. But David is not about himself this moment. And he's like, what about God? How can God stay in a, in a tent? And I have this amazing man. I want to build God a temple. So he's, it's not just a place for God. He wants to build God into the very center of Israel because he's spiritual. He's a man after God's own heart. This so moved the heart of God. And you see, you, you see a lot of knowing God intimacy going on between God and David. But here, this is... Um, this is God's response. Same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Nathan is a prophet, a key figure in this, this story. He says, saying, go and say to my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people? Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them and they would, and they may, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. And I will give you rest <clears throat> from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, 
I will raise up your descendant after you who will, who will come forth from you and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So this is, this is crucial, not just in the story of David, but actually in our story, in the story of the kingdom of God. Now we have a perspective I'll share later about there's so much more meaning in these words than just meant to David. There's messianic prophecies of Jesus in the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom, right? And we're actually going to get a little revelation in, in the sermon today. But there's, this is so rich about God's heart. The first point I want to make is that God rewards righteousness. God rewards righteousness. The second point is going to be God corrects sin. But then the third point is that God redeems sinfulness. God redeems sinfulness. But first, let's talk about righteousness, okay? What does righteousness mean? Who's got a shot? Let's have a little interaction. What does righteousness mean? Uh, ethical behavior. Okay, ethical behavior. Yep, that's a good description, Wally. Okay, so there's, there's an idea that righteousness is doing what's right, okay? So there's, there's right and there's wrong, okay? And we can choose to do what's right or to do what's wrong, doing the right thing. It goes along the idea of godliness or holiness, right? And a lot of these words are kind of unpopular words, even in the church, I would say, in 21st century uh, America. So what does righteousness mean? mean how was david righteous so this is up what things are going swimmingly for david in the kingdom right now the kingdom is being the israel's being established territories enemies are being defeated um, it's just a, a, a amazing things are happening and what god is saying is that it's because i am with you you are being righteous david and i'm with you and working through you okay David was righteous when he was shepherding the sheep. Because what happened to that sheep, right? What came along? Lion and a bear, right? Took the sheep. And David had a choice right there as a shepherd. What were his choice? What were his choices? I'm going to go just, well, bummer. Just a sheep, right? Got 99 more or a lot more. Or he chose... It's like, no, that's my sheep. I got to protect it. I have a job to do. It's a lion and a bear. Bring it, right? And he went after that lion and bear, and he killed him, and he rescued the sheep from his mouth, okay? That was righteousness. That was a man after God's own heart. Get it? Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, and then comes Goliath, shaming the nation of Israel, blaspheming God. Everyone's afraid. Right? But David hears it and is like, that's not right. That is not right. 
I killed the lion, I killed the bear, I'll take that punk out, right? He says, I'll take him, right? Well, no, no, you're just a shepherd boy, you can't do it. All the doubt filled with Israel coming from King Saul primarily, right, spreading. And so if you're leading something, you can either lead by faith or by doubt, but it's going to be, either one is going to spread, okay? And so, and so uh, uh, um, but David's like, no, I believe in God, God's with me. God will do this to honor his own name. And he kills Goliath, chops off his head, right? That's, a, that's righteousness. Uh, when he entered in a relationship with Jonathan, he was righteous with him. He wasn't competitive and prideful. He served him. He loved him. And Jonathan loved him back. When King Saul was gone off the deep end and he's trying to kill David, okay? And David had opportunities to kill him. And everyone else is like, here's your chance. Take him. Time to take your throne. What did David do? He, res- he had a choice. I can respond righteously or I can take into my own things into my own hands and I'm on my own timeline and he responded righteously saying I, 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 I can't lay a hand on the Lord's anointed Amen. right he was righteous everyone else around him was unrighteous actually encouraging him to be unrighteous but he said no I'm gonna do the right thing okay and then when he came as a king in the palace all right, it says in 2 Samuel chapter, 2 Samuel 8, verse 3, it says, David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. It means he did the right thing. He didn't show favoritism. He didn't take bribes. He didn't use his power uh, for his own gain. He even knew that this was God. And so we got to get God in the middle of this. He brought the ark in. We've got to build a temple. So worship will be at the center of the people of God. Not just something they do on the side for an hour a week. Right? Okay? And so, uh, um, so we've got to so we build it. And God was so moved. What was the result of these righteous choices? 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 6 and 14 says, The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. Wherever he went, he gave David victory. Did David earn that victory? No, right? It wasn't a credit to David. It wasn't even a credit to his righteousness, but it was tied to his righteousness as a gift from God. All right? Victory. The sheep were rescued. The giant was slayed. The brotherhood was established. Enemies were defeated. The kingdom was established. The temple was envisioned. The territory were enlarged. The people were experiencing justice, and God was being glorified. Amen? So God rewarded David's righteousness every step of the way. Every step of the way. You know, I think in our world today, righteousness gets a bad rap. Righteousness gets a bad rap. Are you with me? You know, uh, um, you know we got, so you all know now that I'm 40, how old am I? 47, right? Okay. Moose made a spectacle of that a couple weeks ago. <laughs> uh, amen. But uh, uh, so I just... I, I'm, we, I, we have old people preaching now, okay? But we also have young people preaching in their 20-somethings, right? Eli and Grayson. So I'm just going to be more comfortable with giving old person's analogies. Are you with me? Okay, so if you don't get these analogies, then wait for the young preachers. You'll get their stories. But a lot of times we hear the sentiment of the world from our popular music. Well, in 1970, before I was born, but Chris Moose was alive, <laughs> Stephen, Stills, Stephen Stills wrote this song, or sang this song, 
If you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. Love the one you're with. Right? So the 70s was the beginning of this sexual revolution in Woodstock and all, all, this, all this stuff, right? And there was a, there was a uh, beginning, not beginning, but it was surfacing in this way that, hey, let's, let's lose the rigidity of, of the 50s and 60s, all those conservative Bible bangers, you know, legalistic, you know, just whatever, let's relax the standards a little bit of the culture. So then when I was growing up, one of my favorite singers was Billy Joel. Billy Joel, okay? Um, and he sang this song, and I was a kid, and it's got a super catchy tune, and it's just, a, it's, a, it's an awesome song, but the lyrics are absolutely horrible, okay? It says, only the good die young. Remember that song? Only the good die young. Basically, he's getting his girlfriend to have sex with him, and she's saying no because it's wrong. And he's like, oh, whatever, only the good die young, right? Come out, Virginia. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. And it's a catchy tune, and it's like, and I hear, even today I hear that I like the song, but it's like, what am I singing, right? Um, and, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, Billy Joel sang this when he was young. Whether laugh with the sinners than cry and say, forget righteousness. Forget the Bible. Forget, you know, just have sex whenever you want. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Just whatever. It's all the, these standards, these morals, these uh, ways of God, teachings of God pushed aside. It's just old school. It's just whatever. It doesn't work anyway, right? Well, Anybody know how many marriages Billy Joel has had? He's on his fourth marriage right now. So i got to ask Billy, how's it working for you, Billy? Let's pull a Dr. Phil on him, right? You let him laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. How's that working? How's it working on your fourth marriage? Okay? I, I love the song, you know, the, the tune of it. But listen, I, I guess I'd say I'd rather laugh with the saints then cry and die with the sinners. Okay, I'd rather laugh with my wife for 23 years than be on my fourth marriage. I'd rather laugh with all my children in one home than spread out over multiple marriages. I'd rather laugh with the sinners who have repented. Amen? I'd rather laugh eternally in heaven with the saints than be in agony with hell. Unrighteousness is so popular, we need to hold up righteousness, actually. Are you with me there? And Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. Right? So the world tries this and is incredibly unhappy, just not, hum not humble enough to say, maybe we should change. U2, U2 says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So you know, as a church, we need to stop apologizing for righteousness. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Right? I think sometimes we get confused. We don't want to be self-righteous. And so we start saying, well, we'll just kind of, we don't want to be self-righteous. We don't, we don't want anyone to feel like we're better than them. So let's just kind of, let's just kind of keep this on the down. Let's kind of keep this between you and me. So we don't want to stand out too much. I think that's a bunch of baloney. Okay? We need to hold up examples of righteousness. Because righteousness is rewarded. 
Let's not let the accusations of the world enter into the thinking about righteousness. The Holy Spirit comes and speaks of righteousness. Jesus said, so how should we think about righteousness? Well, how did Jesus think about it? Matthew 5, verse 6, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You too, I have the answer. Mick Jagger, I have the answer. Billy, I have the answer. Stephen Stills, we have the answer. Because it's the Bible. The Bible's answer is do what is right. And then the evangelical world gets it confused too. It says when we did all the, the um, sin and uh, uh, um, you're born with it. Uh, sin. What's it called? Original sin. Oh, sorry, mind fart there. Okay, original sin, and we're all wretched. And yes, that's true, but we all have free will. Each decision, we can go this way or we can go that way. And we are born with a sinful nature. So we'll get to points two and three because the Bible has the answers for that as well, right? That corrects sin and redeems sin. But let's not lose point number one, that whoever hungers and thirsts for righteousness you will be satisfied. You will be filled. Areas of righteousness that I deal with, that I think most people deal with. Number one, sex. Sex. Are you pure in your thinking and your actions around sex? Impurity. Pornography is taking over the world. It's taking it over, church. The amount of percentages that the internet is used, the amount of our youth that are just so easily exposed. It's, it is the curse that I believe this generation started, the third and fourth generation. We're seeing the fruits of the sexual revolution so easy. Just take pictures of yourself and show them and just whatever and flirt and premarital sex and whatever. We need to wake up as a church that this is evil. And we need to take a stand and do whatever we got to do to get it out of our homes and phones and computers. Sex, money, greed. You know the church gives 1% on average? 1% to God? I, I read something different in the Bible. Yet it exposes our greed. It exposes our greed. How do we handle our money? Do we give God first? Or what's left over? How about when the plate comes around to you? You just, oh, I think I got a 20. Or do you think it through and give what's first? Give to God what's God's. Let me tell you something. If you hunger and thirst for that righteousness, God will take care of your money. And you may be thinking, oh, here's the preacher talking about money. I am talking about money. You want to know why? Because it's going to bless you. I'm going to come in or come over there. <laughs> Easy killer. It is going to bless you. Test God in it. Just test Him. Test Him. I dare you. Test Him. Okay? How about uh, um, giving to the poor? Are you open-handed? How about your anger? Are you compromising with your anger and letting it turn to bitterness and harden your heart out? How about your alcohol or your drug of choice? Are you righteous? Are you righteous? Would you do with your alcohol in front of the whole church what you do late at night on your own? Are you righteous? Or drug of choice? Pot's coming. It's coming. 
may not be legal yet. It's going to be legal pretty soon. Is that going to be your drug of choice? Oh, it's legal now. Oh, really? Yeah, it's also indicting and enslaving and then take you to dark places. How about uh, um, your tongue? How about your tongue? Are you loose-lipped? Do you lie? Do you deceive? Swearing? How about your pride? How about your integrity? How about your priorities? All areas of righteousness, guys, that we have to examine all the time. I go through about every day and I examine, where am I at? How am I doing? Scan, right? If there's anything that comes up questionable, I need to bring that into the light. I need to bring that into the Word. I need to move it, turn it the right direction. I'm going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, number two, God corrects sin. Okay, so let's go back to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me when he commits iniquity. I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men, but my loving kindness shall not depart from him. Boy, that's a great parenting class, but it's not a parenting class. It's about God and how he treats his children, okay? So when we sin, he does not remove, if we're a disciple, he doesn't remove his loving kindness from us, but he does correct us, amen? And this is what we're going to see with David, okay? So David's sin, so this is the turning point in the book of 2 Samuel, okay? And even, even uh, we have all this victory, all this amazing intimacy with God, this chapter 9, kindness to Mephibosheth, chapter 10, uh, we have all more and more enemies defeated, even Joab is being, you know, spiritual, okay? Um, sorry, Joab, all right? <laughs> Uh, but then in chapter 11, verse 1, my Bible says, then it happened. Then it happened. Boom. Turning point. Turning point. What happened? Then it happened in the spring, at the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. We don't have the time to read all this, but David got off the mission, got distracted, and then he got lazy, and then he got lustful, okay? And David committed adultery with Bathsheba. It's up on his roof when he should have been out fighting the battle, but it's in the twilight of night, and that's when a lot of, a lot of sins start to happen. In the twilight, read, read Proverbs chapter 6, 7, and 8. The priv- that's why I put, you know, kids, you put your phone in the living room, Plugged in, you do not take that evil phone into your bedroom. I'm sorry. I know you don't like it, but this is my house. And it's my phone I pay for it. Okay? Because I know what happens. I'm not dumb. I know what happens. I know what happens to me. Right? 9, 10, 11, whatever. We had some uh, friends over the... Jordan had some friends over the other day. Not in the church. And I said, you guys can come on over, but guess what? I'm going to take your phones at 10 o'clock. And I'll tell the parents, I got their phones. You got a problem? You got, not a problem. You, got a, you need to call them? Then call me. Okay? Uh, so the phones are all, guess what happens to the friend's phones? 11-something, beep, 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 beep. That's a boy. 13-year-old girls. One-something in the morning, beep, 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 beep. Another boy. What do you think a 13-year-old's going to do with a boy calling her at 1.30 in the morning. We are naive parents. 
naive if we think like, oh, they'll be fine. No, they're not going to be fine. Okay? We need to train and teach and have some boundaries in this place. All right? So anyways, sorry, that wasn't the point. Um, uh, 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 so, chapters, so, 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 so David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He saw her. He wanted her. He called for her. He had sex with her. And then at that point, he could have said, you know what? I'm convicted. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. And confessed his sin. But he didn't confess his sin. What did he do? He, do, he just did what you and I do. He covered it up. He covered it up. I say, bring Uriah, her husband, back here. Because she's like, dude, I'm pregnant. Oh, snap. Bring Uriah. Uriah comes. David's like, hey, how's the battle going? Go sleep with your wife. And, he, and Uriah is like, there's no way. They're like, the righteousness of Uriah in this situation should have been so convicting. He's like, how could Joab, who's in the field fighting this army, fighting the battle, they're in the field, my brothers are in the field, how could I go and sleep in my own bed with my own wife and drink and eat with her uh, while they're all doing that? I'm not going to do it. I'll sleep on the doorstep. And, it, and David should have been like, at that point like, But he wasn't. And he called him back, and what did he do? He got him drunk. So if I get the guy drunk, then he'll go sleep with his wife. Your eyes still didn't sin, uh, not sin, didn't sleep with his wife. Okay? So finally, David's like, well, send him back. And by the way, tell Joab, put him on the front line so he'll get killed. Joab, he, Joab knew what was going on. He's not dumb. He knew what was going on. David's conscience knew what was going on. We'll get that a little later. Chapter 12, I want to read this now. So, so Uriah gets killed. And David brings the wife, marries her. But in, the, in verse, I want to read, actually, I'm going to read what it's up there in a minute. But listen to this. It says, when the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. She became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. See, it's interesting how we can tend to manage and think about our righteousness based on how other people are reacting to us. But it's not about what other people see or don't see. It's about in the sight of the Lord. It's about in the sight of the Lord, because God sees. God sees. And when we orient our righteousness and our choices to the sight of the Lord... We're going to do a lot better, amen? But then verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1 says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, Let's skip down to verse 9. He gives, he gives this amazing uh, story, convicts David, and then verse 9, he says this, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah, with the, the Hittite, with the sword, you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. David got caught. You know, Numbers 32, verse 23 says this. It says, you, your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. We think we get away with sin. 
That's why we do it. And that's why we do it more. Because we think like, mm, I think I'm going to get away with it. But there's a promise from God that actually you're not going to get away with it. Eventually, it's going to find you out. Okay, so if you're sitting today and you're sitting in sin and you know it, you have a choice today. God is communicating to you today this process. I'm going to share with you this process. How did God correct David? So what was, let me back up. How did David despise God's word? Boy, that sounds mean, right? Well, I think maybe David just kind of slipped into sin. But we have a, we have, we're experts at minimizing and rationalizing and making okay our stumbles. I do, right? He didn't just, Nathan didn't say, you just, oh, you just stumbled into sin. It's like, don't you despise the word of God? How did he despise it? He was, number one, distracted from his mission. God put David in that role to be on a mission, not to sit around in his palace all peachy keen, right? Okay, so he got distracted from his mission. He was lonely in the evening. He had plenty of wives, right, that he could have gone to them. He had plenty of kids, right? He should have been spending time with them. He should have been out on the mission, but he was alone. He made himself alone on the roof at twilight. Okay, he fell into lust. He fell into adultery. He, he chose to adulter, then he chose to deceive, and then he chose to murder. So God corrected him. He got, number one, he got caught. And I've gotten caught, you're going to get caught. Uh, we all get caught. That's part of life, is getting caught. What child has not gotten caught by mom or dad? You guys remember the story about Jordan getting caught with the cookie dough? I'm going to tell it again. Okay? So, Jordan, no cookie dough. Okay, daddy. You know, sweet little. Right? And then what'd she do? Took some cookie dough. So then it got real quiet. Right? Parents, you remember the age when things just get quiet and you're like, beep, 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 beep. Radar, like, mm, quiet isn't a good thing. So I go, hmm. I'm going to go check. As I turned around the corner, I heard this you know, rustling, right? And I was like, Jordan, how's it going? Fine. It's fine, huh? And then all it's, in the meantime, here's what happens. So she's sitting on the floor by the couch. So we got a dog. So guess what the dog does? Runs over there. Digging under. I'm like, so if it's fine, then why is the dog frantically trying to paw under the couch? <laughs> Come here. Okay, we processed it, right? Okay. Um, you're going to get caught. That's just what happens. I got caught. We get caught. Um, uh, it's a blessing to get caught. Secondly, God, how did God correct him? He, he got him caught. He confronted him. David had seared his conscience. Okay, his conscience could have stopped him. His conscience didn't stop him. He knew it was wrong. He didn't stop him. Uriah's righteousness could have convicted David, should have convicted. Instead of imitating Uriah's righteousness, he got Uriah drunk. In a way, he, it's just what he did to his own conscience. Um, Joab should have confronted him. Joab didn't confront him. Joab became a partner in crime. Are we really for one another what we need to be? where we ask those questions and we confront when needed, okay? Nathan finally was like, had the courage. Nathan, this could have caught Nathan his life. Are you kidding? This is the king. He's like, no, I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. I got a message from God. 
because God is the true king. Okay, he said, you're the man. Then, he, then David got convicted. So this is where it starts to go well. David got convicted. I have sinned against God. He took on Psalm 51. We have insight into his heart at this moment. And this is why I believe David is a man after God's own heart. Because he hungered and thirsted for righteousness, but when he chose unrighteously, he responded righteously again. I've sinned. I'm convicted. Um, he took ownership for his sin. He didn't make excuses for his sin. He was contrite. He was so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. He pled forgiveness, and he committed to repentance. Amen? This is, he was corrected. Now, the consequences, let's read 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's read God's response. We learn a lot about God in his response. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, Verse 10, it says, Now therefore, um, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you've despised me, and have taken the wife of your eye, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Those of you who know the story, he, he, he laid with his wives in the same spot on the roof that David lusted after Bathsheba. You see God's correction? Now, God forgave him. Instantly, God said, your sin is forgiven, but the consequences will be with you. What were the consequences? The sword in his own house. The child that Bathsheba was pregnant died after seven days. David's daughter was raped by his own son. Tamar was raped by Amnon. Absalom killed Amnon, so another son killed another son in revenge for raping her. This son, Absalom, organized a coup, a coup and overtook the kingship. And then this son slept with all the concubines on the roof where this all started. And then that son was murdered. Consequences. I just wonder at any point if David was like, you know what? All these things are incredibly heartbreaking, but it was worth it. Those, those few seconds of pleasure. Mm, I'd do it all again. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Sin gives you a few moments and then the consequences. You sow the wind, but you reap a whirlwind. Please make a choice next time to not compromise. Do not be deceived. Galatians 6, 7 and 8. Let's read this and then we'll get on to the the good news of how God works. Galatians 6, 7 and 8, and then the lesson will be yours. The Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from that flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. It's a choice. It's a choice. As a church, who are we going to sow to please, the Spirit or the flesh? As an individual, what will you sow to please, the Spirit or the flesh? You will reap what you sow. God cannot be mocked. Don't fool yourself. Okay, lastly, God redeems. So, so is this the end? Oh, it's just terrible, right? Up, oh, down, it's terrible. And, God, you know, it's just all bad news and, you know, 
No, it's not, because God redeems even sinfulness. Amen? amen? And at, at that point, it should from all of us get a loud amen, because that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? amen? God takes all my sinfulness, all my junk, all my dark places, and He can use even it to glorify Himself and to build His kingdom. That's crazy, okay? Um, God redeems the influence. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, in verse 15 and 16. Let's go back there. So this is kind of our, our theme text. It says, I will correct him, but my loving kindness shall not depart from him. I took it, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. This is, more, this is much bigger than David. This is much bigger than Solomon. This is God forecasting there's a new kingdom. There's a king of kings and there's a new kingdom that's going to come from this. Okay? So how did God redeem David? He redeemed David's sinfulness. Number one, with David, we have an example of heartfelt conviction and repentance. I don't know about you, but I'm glad David's in there. And I'm glad David's struggles are in there. Right? Because now when I sin and I struggle in similar ways, now I know what to do to respond righteously. He was, I'm warned of my own sin. You know, there's been temptations similar. And because of David's reaping, I can be warned to not go there. Are you with me there? We can be warned, those of you who are married, be warned. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. If you're struggling with this, you've got a coworker flirting with you. You got a neighbor who's undressing in front of her window. You got a classmate that's giving you all kind of puff-up ego strokes. Just know it's not worth it. Choose righteousness. You can choose righteousness by the grace and spirit of God. Be warned of your own sin and there's hope. If God can use someone like David, guess what? He can use me. He can use me. I've done a lot of bad things, but I haven't had adultery and I haven't murdered anyone. Amen? Just so we know, okay? All right? But if God can use someone like him, then he can surely use someone like me and he can use someone like you. It's like, no, 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 no. I don't, I'm too sinful. I'm too convicted. You don't know what I did. You know what? I don't know what you did, but I know that you didn't do anything that's beyond the reach of God's redemption. Amen? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just a bro. I'm just a mess. You know, my dad this and my mom this and my kids, you know. Listen. Uh-uh. I, you know, God is, is the redeemer. Okay? Hope. God can use him. He can use me. Bathsheba. Let's talk about Bathsheba. You know, she was a willing party in all this, right? Imagine the guilt she bore in her life. The guilt. Losing her own child. Her own husband being killed because of this? Imagine the guilt. But guess what? David and Bathsheba had another son. Remember what his name is? Solomon. Solomon. And what do we have from Solomon? The greatest wisdom literature ever written in the history of mankind. That's how God redeems things. So we can learn our lessons. We can learn our lessons, all right? Um, we can have wisdom from our struggles. The Bathsheba is quoted in the lineage of Jesus. 
okay? Uh, Tamar, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary, Matthew's lineage. God can use her, so Jesus literally came from the womb of an adulteress and a prostitute. Right? Okay? So God can use these women for incredible things to bring about Jesus, right? He can use you and me. Um, warned. We're warned by even Solomon's life. Solomon had all the wisdom in the world, right? And yet, how did his life end up? A mess. And it's not about what you know. It's about what path you follow. Fearing and obeying God is the key to life, not having knowledge that puffs you up. Um, if you've sinned, if you've messed up, if you feel convicted about this, caution yourself. You're not without hope. You have hope because God is in the business of working His ultimate purpose even through human sin. Even through human sin, God works His purpose. And ultimately, we have Jesus. Jesus was prophesied about through this. Uh, he was tempted in every way, yet was without sin and qualified with himself to be the Messiah, the sacrificial, the spotless Lamb of God. Okay? Jesus, Revelation 17, verse 14, says they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. See, David's sin pointed the Israelites, you know what, it's not about even a man after God's own heart. This isn't the ultimate hope. Human king is not the ultimate hope. There's going to be a king of heaven, a king of kings. That's our hope. And then Hebrews 12, we're going to close this and take communion. The kingdom of God is not Israel. We love Israel, right? We love our Jewish heritage. But the kingdom of God is not only Jews. There's a kingdom, a spiritual kingdom to be established that even this failure pointed to and God's redemption purposes pointed to. In Hebrews 12, verse 27, it says, This expression yet once more denotes the removing, removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things. That's all of us. So that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is what Jesus, this is what we have today. We don't have a human king who's mixed with sin and righteousness. We have a holy king who is he's reigning and ruling his kingdom. I just want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. Are you with me there? So we can together be called, chosen, and faithful followers receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So listen, let's love righteousness. Let's hunger and thirst for it. Amen? Let's, let's hold it up high in our lives. Let's allow ourselves to be corrected by God. Allow ourselves to be corrected by God, okay? Because He doesn't take His loving kindness away, but He does correct us. He allows us to reap what we sow, so we learn. And then He redeems even our sinfulness. Let's go ahead and remember Jesus as we take communion this time. Father, thank you for what we learn about you from David and his, his walk with you, his experience with you. Father, we so relate to David because there's such a strong part of us that wants to do what's right. We want to honor you. We want to obey you. We wanna, and yet there's a, 
There's the dark side of us that is sinful and tempted and struggling, and we feel guilt over past choices that we've made. We feel guilt over choices we make now that aren't all that they should be. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to, to, so we can be forgiven and redeemed. Help us to be confident in that. Help us to believe that if you can use sinful people to accomplish the purposes of you and your kingdom, then you absolutely can use us. Father, as we remember Jesus, I pray if any of us need to be uh, convicted to pursue righteousness instead of unrighteousness, God, I pray Jesus will move in our hearts. Father, if there's any of us who are sitting in guilt today, we haven't turned ourselves in yet, we haven't confessed, we haven't turned from our sin. Father, I pray that this time of communion, we will receive not just the truth of the cross, but the mercy and the grace of the cross. That Jesus, will, the Spirit, will move us to turn. That we make a decision to get open and honest and share and confess and repent and be like David in his conviction and in his heart of godly sorrow. Father, that um, we can have the faith and confidence that whatever we've done, you can redeem it and use it for your glory and your purposes. God, thank you for these lessons. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.